Okay, this morning, I'm just going to read a few scriptures this morning. And I'm going to read in Romans, the seventh chapter. Romans chapter 7. And you can follow it through in those first 17 verses. But I'm going to read from verse 18 to 25. Romans 7, 18 says this, For I know that in me, that is in the flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, or I would desire to do, I don't do. But the evil, which I don't want to do, that's the thing that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. If I do that, it is no more I that do it, but that nature, sin here is speaking of nature, that nature that is in me, that is not of who I am in Christ, in Romans 8, 9, is that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God, the teaching of God. That's the proper word, the teachings, all those truths about the person of Christ, who he is and what he's accomplished. For I delight in that that is of God after the inward man, but I see another and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This leads me to the place in this struggle. O wretched man that I am, I'm between two, who I am in Christ and who I think I am apart from him. This leads me, leads all of us in this struggle to this place, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Well, I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has done that, who has delivered us positionally, and now is working it in our experience. So then, with the mind submitted, the mind of Christ, I myself serve the law, the teachings of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, but with the flesh, under Satan, experientially, never positionally for the believer, I, I have I, and I experience the law of sin. Now, this was written by Paul. We know in Acts, the ninth chapter, who he was at that particular time in his life. He's approximately 35 years of age that time when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And when he received the Lord as the Savior, you see that in Acts 9, verses 6 and 7, based upon 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. You can't call him Lord, receiving him that way. See, Paul there wasn't making him Lord. He was receiving the Lord, one who would be sovereign through the work that he finished in propitiation to the Father, but now becoming Paul's substitute, whereby in the substitute alone, separate from the flesh, he could be reconciled. You see, God wants us to experience the position, the truth of our proper image 
the fact that we already are reconciled positionally, but he wants that to enter into our experience so that we're no longer battling. Because we know in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the flesh lusts with its passions and desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary one to another. So that even the things that you desire to do, apart from Christ experientially through the power of the Holy Spirit, you seek to do them and you only end up in an experiential state, which is you are a wretched, you're a, a wretched individual. Now that would not be coming from God because everything that God does is based upon our position in Christ, who is seated above everything. He's Lord. Lord means sovereign. And in that word sovereign, do you see, and I see with you, the word reign. You see, God wants to reign in us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in our experience, which is the equal of our position. Now, Paul wrote this. He wrote this. He had to learn. And the enemy would constantly say to Paul, Born again now, receive, receiving Christ as his Savior. You see, everything he wrote about in Ephesians and Colossians, that was personal truth and, and, and being brought to him in the intimacy of his relationship with Christ. He had to learn all those things. He had to learn them all in Philippians 4.11. He had to learn in whatsoever condition he was to be content. There will be no contentment in our experience, apart from submission of our will, so that we don't go back and forth. Today, I feel like I'm more, I go by emotions. Today, I feel like I'm more than a conqueror in Romans 8.37. Tomorrow, I feel wretched all over again. What is going on? And this is what God wants to reveal to us, what he had to constantly teach the Apostle Paul, constantly, why he said, and we'll get to these, these scriptures in Philippians, the third chapter. We will get to those and we'll see what he said. But at any rate, this is what he had to learn. He had to learn these things, just like you and I do. But the basis of our learning is what's already been accomplished by the person of Christ himself alone through the work that he alone finished. You see, a wretched state is me trying to do something when something's already been done and finished by God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 is resting in his love, resting in the son of his love. And that's where he brings us in Colossians 1 and verse 12. He's made us qualified and given us the light. Light, that's, not, that's our position. Light is our character, 1 John 1, 7. You see? And that light, he wants it to enter into our experience so that what do we experience? We experience Colossians 1 and verse 13. We have been transliterated out of the kingdom of darkness, wretched. Everything's wretched. Nothing makes any sense. You see, because self is the center. The flesh that's in the Christian that they're not of becomes the center and not Christ. And there has to be a separating sanctifying process. We're going to see how this works, all of us together. I'm going to see it with you. I have the privilege to be able to see it with you. And we have the, the privilege to see it with each other.
of this process. He's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness, this isn't even experientially, and placed us in the son of his love. In the son of his love. And that's Colossians 1 and verse 13. Now Paul wrote all of this truth in Romans the seventh chapter. He, he had to learn all those things. All those chapters, right up to chapter 7. Once delivered experientially, and this is an ongoing growth in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. You see, growth takes time. The patience of love must enter into my time and experience, you see, because there's no growth without patience. There's no protection without his love because in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, love is very patient and he's kind. You know that God is so much kinder to ourselves than we would ever, or we could ever be apart from him. Ever. And so he's teaching us this. Once we come out of experientially in, in growth, in steps, remember in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a man that's in Christ, really, are ordered of the Lord. They're ordained. And we're walking in steps, not our own steps, but in the steps that Christ has accomplished for each of us in 1 Peter 2, in verse 21. And once we experientially get out of the lie of the wretched state that we're no longer in God's eyes, remember in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. Ever. Never. That's positional truth. That's what the enemy can't touch in 1 John 5, 18, the B. The wicked one touches us not. He can't touch eternal life. We've been made family members and even my sin doesn't change my relationship with God. And that's why the enemy comes in. Unless there's a cutting and separating process, my experience won't be the equal of the love through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit where we are placed. Thereby, there'll be no protection. When a man and a Christian says, oh, wretched man that I am, what is he, what is he revealing? His experience, he's not experiencing He's not experiencing the position of the protection of God's love that has placed him in Christ, and it's immovable. Because Christ has fully and completely and eternally satisfied the law, uh, satisfied. Jesus Christ has satisfied the Father for each and every single one of us. You and I will see that in Acts 10 and verse 43. We will see that in Acts 13, 38 and 39 in those scriptures about Christ himself and what he's accomplished in propitiation to the Father and being our substitute. You see, the enemy wants to substitute the flesh in us for Christ to cause us, even ignorantly in pride, to constantly compete against who Christ is in me and who I am in him. This is where teaching comes in. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive. That's, that's a, a leader even. Battling his own flesh and then presenting the scriptures. I think we've all failed in that. I know I have. But thank God, thank you, Lord, for me personally and for all of us. He doesn't know us after our failures. He doesn't even know us after our struggles. No, he knows us after and in the Son of His love 
which is immutable, can't add anything to it, and it's unchangeable. This is our growth here. And so the Apostle Paul, in Acts the ninth chapter, he's 35 years of age. By the time, after his three missionary journeys, which were incredible, unbelievable, you see everything he did, even the labor that he labored in, he knew it was the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said in 1 Corinthians 15.9, I am not meet, I'm not qualified to be um, a special messenger of Christ because I persecuted the church. What would that be? That would be the enemy trying to convince him still, now that he's in Christ, but experientially telling him you're a wretched man based upon what you did. That's what he does with every believer until something happens. This separating, sanctifying process in John 17, 17, sanctify them through your word, your, your truth. Your word is truth. That's Christ. Jesus himself sanctified himself in 17, 19, so that that would be our place of sanctification. That sanctification, there's a separating, sanctifying process, which is very, very key in, uh, to be understood in our growth in Christ. And so that whole time, he was 35 years of age, had three missionary journeys, and then by the time, and this is pretty close, that Philippians is pretty close to 2 Timothy, where he knew that he, it was over for him and that his life in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6 would be like a, a drink offering poured out to the Lord, meaning everything about what Christ accomplished in him that he agreed with, and two walk together except they be agreed, name is 3 and verse 3. And so he, it was his life, everything that Christ did in him was like it was a drink offering poured out to the Lord. But he was approximately, during this time, about 67 years of age. And this is where we come to this. Here's where we come to this. And this is in Philippians, the third chapter. And this is what he said. Finally, my brethren, my beloved ones, who are the brethren? They're the dearly loved ones. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. God's love for them is not based upon what they do or what they don't do, but what they function in, not even in their own work, by the way, being placed in the son of his love. God's love is unconditional, unmerited. Our whole Christian life, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He said, my brethren, my dear brother, my dear family, my dear loved ones, rejoice. Notice what that is, rejoice. Operate and have joy reproduced in you constantly. Why? Because in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. When I function in love, when my position, uh, when my experience is equal to my position and I'm in his presence, in Psalm 16.11, what am I filled with? Joy. Now, my joy may be up and down with many of us. One day I feel wretched based upon feelings that initiation of lies that I respond to ignorantly or otherwise. One day I'm wretched. Next day I feel like more than a conqueror. What is going on? Tell you what, this is struggle. This is growth. This is a continual sanctifying, separating process. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. Who is the, this is our Savior, Christ. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. 
but it is a safeguard for you. And this is what God is doing. Safety is in the protection of God's love. His counsel proceeds from who he is. God is love in 1 John 4, 7 to 20. And that's how he initiates to us. But he initiates this love that's unconditional through grace, which is unmerited. You see what that does? It does away with wretchedness. It does away with the lie of it. Rejoice in the Lord. To write it, it's, it's not burdensome to me or troublesome, but it is an absolute safeguard for you. See, God is for us in his so great love. John 3.16. God is for us in Psalm 56 and verse 9. God is for you and I in Christ. That doesn't change in Romans 8 and verse 31. And you'll see those 13 or 14 things that can't separate him from that love. But what can separate me from experiencing it? And we're going to see how this works. I'm going to see it with you. He said, beware of the dogs. You know, dogs, Jesus said. And he said it right back here. And I'll read it. This is what Jesus was saying on Calvary, on the cross. And you will see this. You will see it, and, I, and I'm going to see it with you. He said in, in, in Psalm 22 and verse 16, and many believed that Christ, you, could, you can tell this Psalm, in Psalm 22 and verse 1, we can see it in Matthew 27 and verse 46, where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God had to forsake him because God was, he was propitiating the Father about the sin question and then being that substitute that would deal with all of our sins, those that are in Christ to be reconciled. And he, this psalm was written, all the positive things was in the spirit of Christ. But he said this in 22.16 of that psalm, for dogs have encompassed me. You know, the dogs, the liars, the legalism of the flesh, those that aren't of God, and teach things ignorantly or in pride and stubbornness. And we're going to see what that is this morning. That would fill us, that cause us, in this sense, to be wretched. You know, we had, a lot of us, we had a lot of great teaching, but some bad teaching got in there that we may even still be ignorant of, and we can't even understand. Why am I feeling so wretched today? And we're going by feelings. But with those feelings, those bad feelings were being initiated through lies and bad teaching that we're not even aware of. But he never forgets what, he, what the son of his love has accomplished in terms of propitiation to God and then thus becoming a substitute whereby we're constantly reconciled. God wants to con constantly reconcile you and I to his love that doesn't change this morning. You and I are loved no matter if we fail, no matter if we sin and fail, and we hate it. We read that and, and we read it in Romans 7. I hate the things that I do. I hate them, but I still do them. What's going on, God? Why do I do this? Why do I give up? Why do I want to quit? Why, do I, uh, why does uh, people rejecting me hurt me so deeply? M being misunderstood. And not, and not uh, in this sense, not experiencing love, a love that, that is mine. What is going on? We need to beware of the dogs. Notice what it says here in Psalm 22, 16. He said, dogs have encompassed me. That's the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. That's the God of this world still. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3, if our gospel be hid, listen, 
We can have the greatest teaching, but if we're not submitted, if there hasn't been a separation from the, the flesh from the spirit, then we become wretched people again in our experience. The assembly, and that, and that again is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of a stronghold. What's a stronghold? Negative teachings, the, uh, the flesh, all of these negative things that keep me and the enemy trying to convince me now that I'm in Christ, but that somehow God is still hard. In Luke 19 and verse 21, so I hide what little bit I have because I get to this point and I think God is too hard. And I feel wretched. Well, dogs compassed Christ. Those wickedness. You see them crying out. In John 18, 40, they said, not this man. That's what the enemy says to you. Not Christ in you and you in Christ. No, you're wretched. No, you're wretched. Not this man. Furthermore, they said, murder him. By the way, for them, crucifixion for us was the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary in John 19.30. That's that tetelestai, that great word in the Greek. But when they cried out in John 19 and verse 15, crucify him, they were saying, murder him. Little did they know in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, and 9 how that was God's plan because they never would have crucified him if they knew oh, that he would rise from the dead and be our very resurrection life because he propitiated the Father. Father could then offer him to us as a substitute whereby all of us in the type would place our hand individually. No one can do that for us. There's, no, there's only one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy 2.5, that's what Job was praying for in Job 9 and verse 33 in the midst of his trial. He was a righteous man. His righteousness meant that he was placed, he was placed in Christ. But he was trying to function apart from him. Trying to function apart from him. Well, Dogs in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, Christ said from the cross, "The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me; they pierce my hands and feet. They pierce my hands and feet." You know, he, his love, God's love, he had to pierce his son to propitiate him, so that he could offer him to you and I as a substitute. What would we substitute? What can we substitute for God's love? What do we substitute for God's love for each other? Somehow I'm wretched, or somehow I see them, those that are his dearly beloved in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, to be wretched still. Now I'm not I'm going to say there are certain there are certain times when we should not fellowship with believers that have not gotten right with the Lord. And by them not getting right with the Lord, if they haven't got right with individuals, then should I fellowship with them? Should I? And of course I shouldn't. But I, I want to get back to this truth this morning. And that's where God wants us to be. So, so here in Philippians, the third chapter, we can see again, where he said, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. To constantly teach over and over again, to constantly teach. And this is, goes into Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 9 to 13. You can see it very clearly there. There has to be, we have to all be brought back the constant teaching. We have to be brought back 
to what we think we know, but so easily forgot, and we didn't continue in the growth of those truths. We need to be brought back to have that safeguard. That's why it's not a trouble to constantly preach in verse 2. Beware of the evil workers. Where is the evil found? Is there evil in who a believer is in Christ? No. Where is the evil located? It is in the flesh. Is the flesh who we are anymore in Romans 8, 9? No. No. Absolutely not. The evil workers. Now listen to what it says. Beware of the false circumcision. I'm going to tell you what the Hebrew word, the, the, the Greek word here is. We're going to get into it this morning. That Greek word is very interesting. It's katatome. Katatome. You know what that word means? He's telling you, beware of the false circumcision, the false teachers. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, Satan is an angel of light and he has his ministers in 11, 15. Can they even be those that are positioned in Christ but don't have a proper experience of who Christ is and the work that he's finished? Yes. Yes, any of us can go back to the flesh. And God forbids us to do it in Galatians 6 and verse 14 because once we go back to the world, there's the flesh again. That's why Christians don't live in the world. That's why they don't go there to find their peace, their comfort, their joy. Never. Ever. Never. For any of us, because God loves us too much. Beware of the false circumcision. The, those that are of the katatome. Who? Mutilation. Did you hear what that said? It's mutilation. You know, that's what the apostle, the Holy Spirit gave the apostle Paul to write in Galatians 5 and verse 12. Because he would go in and teach the truth of Christ, his person and the work that he finished, having to do with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. That's the finished work in John 19 and verse 30. Then when he would leave, the Judaizers, the fleshly crowd, the katatomes would come in and mutilate Christ in their minds. Cut him off. That's why he said, I, I wish they were cut off. I wish, it's in the sense that I wish their physical org organs would be cut off so they couldn't reproduce others after themselves. Those were the Pharisees. Those were the, those that were of the false circumcision. And that's what the flesh comes under when we don't submit to Christ, when we don't have proper teaching, any of us. And even when we have the proper teaching, to not submit to it instantly. Instant obedience. What kind of obedience? What is obedience? It's instant obedience. What is delayed di obedience? It's called disobedience. What is it based upon? Ignorance. The ignorance of pride or outright pride and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. False circumcision. He says here, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh anymore. Now, you're hearing, you're hearing things that you're wretched? You're going to put confidence in it? Or are you going to cast it down in 2 Corinthians 10.5? That false reasoning. No, we are not of the catacombs. Catatomes, I should say. We're not. No. No. 
Nope. No, who are we? Who are we? Kata, katatome. Okay, this is what, it's, what it literally means. Katatome means to cut. It's a cutting or a separation. Now, the enemy can't separate the believer because we are positioned in Christ and that eternal life is untouchable. 1 John 5, 18, 1 John 5, verse 11. It's untouchable. So he goes after the experience. He wants to cut us off experientially. Cut us off. Mutilate us. You know, in John 10, verse 10, 10, in the A part, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it says. We need to cast all our anxiety on him in 1 Peter 5, 7, in Psalm 55 and verse 22, because we have an adversary. He comes as a roaring lion. You know what a roaring, a roaring lion does? You can even see it in small cats, regular domestic cats. They like to play a little with, the, with their capture. They like to play a bit, a little bit with their prey. They like to play with it a little before they tear it to shreds, mutilate it, and swallow it down whole. How does he do that with the believer? Details of life. Everything about me is my schedule, my details of life, my plan, my yearly plan. I'm going to figure my whole life ahead. Whose plan are we in in Jeremiah 29, verse 11? False circumcision. To cut them off. Who are we, though? We are the true circumcision. This is true circumcision. This is the Greek word peritomo. Peritomo. P-E-R-I-T-O-M-E. Who are we? We are gathered once to Christ. Out. Cut out of the flesh, having nothing to do with it separated from the unclean multitude, what? Who are we? We are consecrated ones. We are who? We have been separated from the passions of the flesh and, and put into Christ. We have, we have the removal of all those fleshly pa passions, positional truth, and the removal of spiritual impurity. You know in Titus 1 and verse 15, through the pure, all things are pure. You know what that means. I, I can't live in sin and be in God's presence, but the only place I can know it the way God knows it without sinning is in his presence. I don't know sin. I won't know it. I won't know the ignorance of pride in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. I won't know how pride deceives us in Obadiah, verse 3. Lift up the flesh above Christ and put him down. Know who are we? We are separated ones. We are separated ones. You know, today, we live right now. We live right now. And we can see it everywhere. The pretensions and energy of man and, and the unsaved and fleshly believers are strongly manifesting themselves through what they take in. Through what they take in. But this is what God would have us to do. He wants us to learn in this day of grace, of which we still have, it's a day of grace right now, still, fast going <laughs> as we're getting ready to be raptured off this earth and then judgment to come down and God to deal with everything 
that he is already finished, but to bring it into a place where all can see it in Revelations 1 and verse 7, we see this, that there we learn to be still. We can't be still with the flesh. It's constantly active. There's constant suspicion and irritation. You know how I know when I'm not submitted to God through the, the, the Holy Spirit who can take the power, take the things of Christ and show them unto me? I, somehow I become suspicious. That's the flesh. Suspicious. What's it based upon? Fear. What's fear based upon? Pride. And what is pride issue in? Suspicion and some form of irritation. Some form of it. But to learn in this day of grace, to be still and know that God is God, is completely above all that false education of the flesh. It's the spirit of this age, listen, that affects many Christians who labor, fleshly labor, to restore old things for the service of God instead of being broken before him by the sense of their complete downfall. You know what the word is for us today? God would have us to know this, is to sanctify. Remember, there's a separating process, sanctification. That's the number two that the Bible brings up. You can be separated into the flesh, evil, or you can be, in the positive sense, separated unto Christ. But here, what is the word? What is the word in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15? It's sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And he will bring in to you those two or three that can be gathered together in his name. That's Matthew 18, 20. He sent them out, even in his and still kingdom age teaching, sent them out two by two. Two by two in Luke 10, verse 2. Why? Because two are better than one in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9, too. Is he separating? He separates, in, in the positive sense, two believers. Now he brings them around Christ, the only one that we should gather around. Not some man. We're going to see it here. Not some man. So, But when you have that type of fellowship, when you have that, and then when we have that, what do we do? We openly confess what we are apart from Christ in his presence, that we're no longer of. See, we don't stay in Romans 7, 24. We go, we get into 25. Oh, I thank God already. Wait a minute. What have I been doing? I'm going back to the flesh. The confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. The doubt in Romans 14, 23. The fear in 1 John 4, verse 18. The fear that we, it's not of God in 2 Timothy 1, 7, that God has never given us the spirit of fear. Are you fearing? And once you fear, you and I fear, we're not submitted, we go about trying to make plans. We plan our whole year. Oh, God. And then we, by our own plan, we think what we can do and what we can't do. We think what we should do and what we shouldn't do. You know, when we're not separated, in the sanctifying growth process through the preaching and teaching of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. When that doesn't happen, we continue to function in darkness. That's where the flesh functions. And in darkness, what do we do? We, put, we call good evil and evil good in Isaiah 5.20. We put light for darkness and darkness for light. That's 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. The angel of light affects us in the flesh. And all my plans are about me. 
first, then God, and then his body. No. No. That's not for us in God's love. No. That's not for any of us in God's love. Nope. When two or three are gathered together before him, you know what that does away with? It does away with all the false disappointments and deluded hopes. What is disappointment? It's trusting in someone else. I need someone else. Not that we don't fellowship, but that's Christ in us as we give him to each other and become a joint that supplies in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. That's different. But now I think I need this person to function. I think I need to go here and do this thing. Just make sure that who you go with, who you go to see, that it's proper in the word of God for you to do it. Just make sure, because God's not only protecting you, he's protecting those that you think you need to go to because you think you know that God's called you to do a work in them that only he can do, and you give him away. And I would do that. Any of us would. I would do that in the flesh. Any of us would. That's why we need that cutting in Hebrews 4.12 to separate self-conscious living, living in sentimentality toward family members, Living in, in sentimentality. I feel like, you know, because of my natural family and, you know, I feel like I need to do these things. Really? That's called sentimentality if you're not protected by God's love. That's what it is. Now, as we begin to uh, wrap this up, as the Holy Spirit is teaching all of us, where two or three be gathered together, when Christ is that their only center of gathering, then there's no disappointments. And no deluded hopes. What's disappointment? Again, I am depending on someone else to do in and for me what Christ has already done. Not that we don't need teachers. And this is Ephesians 4, 8 to 16. There's no question about that. We need that. But not depending upon someone in their flesh. We need that. Now, when we're gathered together to Christ, what do we do? We sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We, we are set apart unto him. And then he becomes set apart unto us. And that keeps all this other stuff out. All the negative, all the, the lying wretchedness of the lies of the enemy. And he's the father of all lies in John 8 and verse 44. And when I don't have Christ and I'm in the flesh, I'm going to function under some kind of lust pattern. True. Because we can't handle these things. So the enemy says, here's the way out. It's this lust pattern. It's this thing. Go here. Go there. Do this. Do that. Read Job, the 28th chapter. Everything that we search for in God's creation on this earth, when we don't seek the Lord first in Matthew 6.33, Creation's crying out, it's not in me. What you're looking for is not in me. It's not a geographical place. It's not subtle, unthought of, or unrevealed plans. Back, they're called backup plans. I'm not going to tell anybody, but I have a backup plan. He's the only center. Now, here's what happens 
here's what happens, and we'll get into this more on thir Thursday. We'll get into this in a much deeper way on Thursday. But here, this is what it says, and as we begin to wrap this up. And listen, I will tell you, I, if anything, I've learned how subtle still and unchangeable the flesh that's in me that I'm not of in Romans 8, 9. How subtle, because the enemy controls the flesh and offers all those lust patterns. He knows, he knows in one sense, the enemy knows who we are in the flesh and what we're capable of far more than you and I. That's why we need to be in his presence. That's exactly why we need to be in his presence. He's very subtle in Genesis 3 and verse 1. He's very subtle in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. That subtlety that has to do with the simplicity, and simplicity there doesn't mean we're dumb. It just means we're founded and finished in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. So as we close, I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to see how this works. We're going to see how Acts 20, 24 to 32 works. Where Paul never, listen, he never commanded and told the believer to look to him for everything. He never did that. He always pointed them to Christ. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Who was he following? Christ. Who was his everything? Christ. Who was he telling him? Your everything is Christ. I'm not your everything. We have teachers. We have pastors and teachers. Shepherds. And by the way, pastor's not a title. If you looked at the shepherds in the field in David's day, you, didn't, you don't see Shepherd David, Pastor David, by the way. Shepherd. His name was David. And he functioned in a gift that God had given him through Christ in Ephesians 4, verse 8. We need godly ones that are submitted to the head. This is Ephesians 4, 8. So that we have proper teaching in, in 4, 11 to 16 in Ephesians. But here in 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 12, it says this. Now this I say, that every one of you, this I say, that every one of you says, I am of Paul. You, you Listen, you can put any other man of God. Did God use Paul for people? Yes, he did. But he was a vessel. And the treasure of Christ was being poured out to him. This is why you don't pick and choose who's going to be your, your pastor teacher. He's given many to the body of Christ. This I say I'm, I'm, uh, every, to, to you. Every one of you says, I am of Paul. And, and some say, I am of Apollos. You know, Paul, he had a lot of great truth. But the way he presented it with his speech that was contemptible, speaking with a high pitch and looking at him physically, 2 Corinthians 10, 10, his speech was contemptible. It was, you know, but he had all this truth. But Apollos, he didn't have as much truth, but he could present the little truth in a much more polished way. That's Apollos. And some say, I am of Cephas, Peter. But some say, I am of Christ. We don't need any man. Look what it says. Is Christ divided? You think the enemy comes in and tries to separate us? from Christ by using certain individuals, saying that from now on, I'm only going to receive from this person. I'm not going to receive from this person anymore. Comparisons, false lying comparisons. 
no wisdom in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. There's no wisdom because there's no love in that when we compare one another. When we make self to be the determining thing where we characterize others falsely. Any of us can do that in the flesh. Is Christ divided? 1 Corinthians 1, 13. Was Paul crucified for you? I, I, he taught crucifixion, and many of us are taught many things by many men, but were they crucified for us? Do I look for them? If you and I look for someone, other than Christ in them, it's just my flesh looking for something in them to complement me in my flesh. And we call that fellowship. Is it? 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Fellowship has to do with Christ and Christ alone, period. Everything else needs to be confessed in 1 John 1, 9. Every single thing else. Is, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? By the way, baptism has to do with death, doesn't have a thing to do with life. When we were baptized into Christ, that's Colossians 3 and verse 3. You died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. But Christ who is our life, you see the difference? There's life. Baptism has to do with death, it's over. That's what baptism has to do with. We're baptized into his death by receiving him who died in our place. He not only died for us, he not only paid for our sins, he died as us, you see. We chose that he died for us. Again, this has to do with propitiation to the Father. Then accepting him as the Father offers to him and to us as our substitute, whereby we already are positionally reconciled unto him. Now, what is this? It is called party spirits. Paul said party spirit. Yeah? You may get a lot of truth from certain individuals, but when that individual that God may have even used, you look to him, other than Christ, that's a party spirit or a sect. What is a sect? I'm going to read it. You can find it where I found the word sect. It's a party spirit. Spirits that don't, that, that deny Christ in some form. In 1 John 4, 1 and 2, really, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Party spirit. Spirits that, that are in opposition to the Holy Spirit revealing who Christ is to the accomplishment and finished work of the Father. A sect. Here it is, it's 1828 Dictionary. You want a good dictionary? Again, that's going to take you far. It won't take you as far as receiving the teaching and preaching of the Word of God by those that have been skilled by Christ by pure grace in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But the 1828 Noah Dictionary, the word sect is from the Latin word secta. This comes from the Latin word seco, means to cut off and separate. To cut off and separate. You see, that's what those Judaizers were doing. They would, Paul would come in and bring them back to a proper separation in Christ, sanctified, and then come in and try to separate and mutilate Christ. Mutilate them. Can't mutilate Christ. But to mutilate them and make them wretched all over again. Are you wretched and I wretched all over again? Did anything change about who we are in Christ? means to cut off, to separate. What is this uh, sect? It is a body or number of persons united in tenets, proper beliefs, certain beliefs, chiefly in, now this is where 
Noah Webster said, it's either philosophy or religion. Holy Spirit, I believe, led me to say, philosophy, religion, there's no difference. Philosophy, religion. But constituting a distinct, separated party, party spirits, by holding or being held, in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 and 5, held by holding sentiments. What does that mean? Sentimentality is not love. That's natural. Natural family. I think I owe natural family something. You know, really? No, you don't. No. That's natural. James 3 and verse 15. Earthy, where it says, where it says sensual there is natural and demonic. Demonic. We owe loyalty to Christ and his word that protects us and keeps him glorified. You, you, you can put whatever color you want to it. I will give by the grace of God as the Holy Spirit corrects me through the word. That's what, by the, hopefully by his pure grace and my dependence upon him, that's what he will use me as a vessel to give to all of us because, you know, Christ is the source. It's a party spirit holding sentiments. Sentimentality of the flesh. I'm going to tell you what sentimentality of the flesh is. It's called pride. I don't care. I believe God's leading me to do this. No, I'm still led. Really, in the face of all truth that you've been given, all the investment in truth that you've been given, and you still think you should do that. Really? Well, especially for a young person. In 1 Timothy 3, 6, you're lifted up by pride. He's fallen to the smoke screen of the devil. I don't need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive the teaching that this individual gives me in all these other areas, but this area, not doing it. Okay. Okay. It is these party spirits by holding sentiment, sentimentality, the flesh, pride, different from those of other men. Most sects have originated, or party spirits, in a particular person. You look at every cult, they, they came from a person. You can name them all. You can name them all, Jehovah's Witnesses. You can name them all. Christian science, that started from a woman. The other started from a man. You see them all. They started from what? A particular person who taught, if it's not truth, they're lies, and propagated some strange, because it's, you know, strange? Now, what is something that's strange? Something that's not of the shepherd's voice. The shepherd's voice in John 10, verse 4, when they hear the shepherd's voice preaching and teaching, oh, I want in this area, but this area, no. I don't think I need that. I think I know enough to be led by God, and I'm going to do something. Okay. All right. You see? No. Some strange. They hear the shepherd's voice, in, in John 10 and verse 4, and they don't hear the, the strange voice of stranger's voice, the enemy, the lie. Boy, I'll tell you. Those strange notions that come from the flesh and pride in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, in the philosophy of religion, it is, that's what it's called, philosophy of religion, and who is considered to have been its founder. Boy, tell me that hasn't affected all of us in some measure. 
not to blame. No blame game. You see, once we're separated from the flesh in, into the truth experientially, it does away with the blame game in Genesis, the third chapter. And you can see that in those 19 verses there. Well, we're going to close. Among the Jews now, the Jews, the Judaizers, the Jews, the principal sects were the Pharisees. They were Christ's most bitter enemies. They taught the word, but was it Christ himself? No. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. Now in Greece, and this is where we go to Acts the 17th chapter, Mars Hill, where in Greece, there was in Ephesus, which was in, in Greece, there was Paul and he taught for three years in tears. Tried to tell people. Tried to tell people things. Tried to tell believers things that would protect them. They still go off and have their own plans. Such a mystery to me. But yet I can go to another place and still feel like I'm protected because there's someone else that's there. Really? Really? Wrong. Among the Jews, that's who they were. Those that were sects, the founders were the sects. Pharisees, Sadducees, the Essenes. In Greece, it was called the Cynic sect. What's a Cynic? You know what a Cynic is. I don't believe anything. I only believe what I want. Oh, I'm going to receive the word of God here. All the investment over here. But in this area, I'm going to operate on my own. I don't agree with this person anymore. I'm a Cynic. What's a Cynic? Suspicion. And what does some form of suspicion bring in? Some form of irritation. Is there any suspicion in God's love that protects us? No. Is there any irritation in grace? No, because there's no merit involved. There's no flesh involved. I get irritated when I think I'm, I think I'm being led by God. Then I hear the word that comes against that. I get a little irritated. And then I, I'm a little suspicious. Really? Really? This can happen to any of us. It happened to me if I function in the flesh or any of us. So they were the cynics. They were founded by and antithonies. I didn't say that right. I have something in my mouth that causes my pronunciation to be not always correct. That'll be corrected soon. And, the, and then there was that. There was cynic. I don't believe anything. I'm suspicious about everybody. I'm, I'm suspicious. Why does that person not want me to do this? Hmm. I'll tell you why. It's called protection of love. Not only for you, but for them. Don't think you can go and do something. Or me in the flesh. And we need to know the difference in God's love. So in Greece, that was what the Senate sect. Then there was the academic. Now we have all this teaching sect by Plato. The academic sect gave birth to these certain things that we want to talk about, but we'll talk about later. You see, the enemy wants to birth a lie in us through the flesh that's in us that we're not of. He wants to protect us in the protection of his love. And you and I need to make sure in the protection of God's love, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what we do, we're being sent by God for all of us. And, and uh, Father, we thank you for the counsel of your love, for the beauty and counsel of your love, Father.
We thank you and praise you. And uh, thank you that you can, you can be so glorified by revealing Christ to us at this particular time through the counsel of the word that he is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.